Blockish halls hold the furnaces, and from each one chimneys rise a hundred feet in red and white stripes. Webster takes photographs, trying to capture its immensity. It would take a quarter of an hour to walk to the compound's furthest point. Two police officers arrive, sweating in their peaked caps and military uniforms, and move them on. Inessa resists, but it's clear they should go. They have enough. The sun is low in the sky, setting early behind the black ridge of mountains, and it's dark by the time they reach Oskamen. At dinner, Inessa is more furious than he has ever seen her. She makes him promise that they will fight this injustice, the betrayal of these people. Webster sleeps restlessly in the hotel's hard, clean bed. An hour before dawn, half-conscious, he hears a key turning in the lock, and as he pulls back his covers, the door opens, the fluorescent light flickering on. Two policemen in uniform walk into the room, pushing aside a member of the hotel staff. One stands over Webster so that his cap blocks out the light and tells him in calm, even Russian to stay in bed. The other searches the room, opening drawers, emptying a bag onto the floor. Webster, squinting, tries to stand up, but the first policeman stops him. His colleague tears the film from Webster's camera in three long pulls and starts leafing through his notes. Webster makes a grab for his book, but is pushed backwards onto the bed. As the policemen shut the door behind them, they tell him to leave the country on the first flight out. His camera sits on the chest of drawers, its hinged back open, and scattered over the thin hotel carpet lie yesterday's clothes. He runs to the floor above, pounding up the tiled steps three at a time in his bare feet. He wants to share his rage. Inessa's door is open, and with a bolt of fear in his chest, he looks inside. She's gone. The night manager is in his office, sitting in an armchair watching television, the sound down low. His forehead is pinched in a frown, and when Webster asks him where the police station is, he won't meet his eye. He runs the whole way, the two bags on his back swinging wildly, his lungs tight and his breath beginning to rasp. It is six now, and an even grey-blue light is waking the city. Cars pass, but he sees no one. At the front desk, out of breath and angry, he tells an officer that he is a journalist, and if they don't release his friend now, he will call the British Embassy and every newspaper editor he knows. The officer looks at him indifferently for a moment, goes to fetch a colleague, and they arrest him. His cell has grey painted walls, no window, and two bare wooden boards for beds. He's lucky to have it to himself. With his head in his hands, he sits under the single bare bulb, its light finding every stain and crack in the damp concrete floor. This isn't the first time he has been in such a place, and for Inessa this is routine. But a strange fear sits in his chest, and he wants to see her, to reassure her that they will soon be released. The silence is broken by occasional noise, a scream, wild singing, a metal door slamming shut. To pass the time, he smokes and begins to write his story in his head.
No one comes to question him, and he wonders how long this will take. Towards the middle of the day, he hears the cell doors opening in turn, and readies himself for something to happen, but it's only a guard bringing food. As he pokes at his tray, he hears voices shouting over each other in Kazakh, commands being yelled, and heavy boots running past. The commotion doesn't stop. His door opens again, and two policemen lead him away, one on each arm, refusing to answer his questions. As they step into the corridor, he turns his head and sees three officers standing by the open door of a cell. One of them, his broad chest a patchwork of medals, stands back with his arms folded. There is a stretcher at his feet. Webster wrenches an arm free and shouts Inessa's name, feeling dread in his throat. As they take hold of him...